I, I had so many conversations while I was on the trading floor with people who absolutely hated their day to day. And so mm -hmm. many times I would hear, well, this is what successful people do, or this is the only way I can make money like this, or this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what my friends and family expect of me. You know, this is what I expect of me. And I also think that comes from, you know, as we're raised and we're going through school, our our barometer, if you will, for success is very linear, right? We have A, B, C, D, and F. And, and where you fall on that spectrum is how successful you are at the number one thing you're asked to do growing up, which is school, right? And so then when you go to college, you're still kind of operating off of that same mechanism unless you're going into a trade or something like that, which frankly, um, I think a lot of people could be served to do. Um, and but then when you go out into the real world, you have to come up with your own definition of a successful life. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, nearly every show we talk about how important you are, that you matter, that you have a contribution to make. And today's guest, Tracy Tim, who's got a new book called Unstoppable, it's almost like I was looking in a mirror or listening to myself on the podcast because Tracy's ideas, concepts are so congruent with what we've taught at CRG for over 40 years, that you are important, that you have a contribution to make, that it is our job and responsibility to figure out what that is. But a lot of people are stuck and Tracy's story is so fascinating about you know, being a Yale graduate, having a very high priced or high paid job, pardon me, in Wall Street, and then just being miserable, even to the point of being physically sick. And it's interesting, as we get closer to the end of the show, she talks about the concept of the science of regret. And you know what, for all of us that are, uh, that all of you that are listening is that, you know, don't have sort of this regret nature, take action. And so our encouragement is, is that to do that is that clarity really helps you to take action. And one of the new things that we have available is this whole online e-course CRG Academy. And so we have the, you know, what, what do you really value course, the dying to live course, the personal style indicator, why aren't you more like me course? And we're adding more courses depending when you listen to this, you know, on, on a regular basis so that we have an entire sort of library there for you to transform your life. So my encouragement is that you would think about that. If you know somebody who needs, you know, wants to have more clarity, then we're really sort of mentioning, you know, what do you really value in the values preference indicator in this show as per normal. We thank you for uh, sharing your time with us. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, leave a positive comment. Maybe let us know about a guest that would just rock the show and make a difference. And so if you have some of those suggestions, please post that in whatever platform or just email us here at CRG, info at crgleader.com. Thank you again for listening. And now here's our guest, Tracy Tim. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. So, what do you do to be successful? Are you valuable? What steps do you need to take to get the right career? Well, we're going to answer some of those questions today with our guest, Tracy Tim. Tracy, welcome for being on the show. Thanks, Ken. I'm super excited to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun today. 
Well, of course. And uh, the Secrets of Success listeners expect nothing less. After five years of doing this, we have high expectations. <laughs> so, But uh, as we said, hey, we won't want to take ourselves too seriously, but serving the listeners, we do. So, Tracy, we like to uh, really get a people's you know, story, guest story, uh, before we get into your uh, new book, Unstoppable, and what you've covered in it and your Academy, the nth degree career academy. So before we get into those, Tracy, what's kind of your journey about how you got here? Yeah, well, it's funny. I could tell you the long version, the short version, the 30-minute version. Uh, so I, I love my story, and it's actually, as many entrepreneurs, um, you know, the, the genesis of my life and, and my own discovery process really is uh, the labor of love behind the business that I have now and the book, Unstoppable. So, um, you know, I'm uh, an only child born and raised uh, in the suburbs right outside of Dallas, Texas. Um, and had just a very generic middle-class upbringing other than the fact that I, from the time I can remember, have been a super anxious overachiever. Like if someone gave me a bar, I had to meet it or exceed it. Um, if A's were the goal, then I had to be getting 99s or 100s. If I was playing an instrument, I had to be first chair. If I was playing a sport, then I had to be, you know, on the winning team and I had to be varsity my freshman year. And um, honestly, I, I, like, my parents tapped into this even. Like I, can, I have a super early memory of being almost maybe five and being in church and my parents would grade my behavior in church <laughs> in order to motivate me. You talk to, about, you talk about pressure. Right. Well, it's, it, they knew how to, how to work me. You know what I mean? They mm -hmm. knew that I was motivated by winning and achieving. And so I would sit up straight and I wouldn't make any noise in church so I could get an A. You know what I mean? So it, it, my mom always like totally just grimaces every time I tell that story. But it's just funny mm -hmm. and it goes to show you that that was my personality from a young age. So um, I, I worked hard and I was smart and, uh, and I was very athletic. So I ended up getting recruited. Um, out of high school to play softball in college. Uh, and wow. I had great and what grades. position did you play? Yeah, I was a catcher most of the time and then first base as well. Wow. Back in, hey, back that re brings back memories that that's what I was in elementary school, a catcher. <laughs> yeah. So the pitcher dislocated my thumb in a very fast pitch and I caught it wrong and I said that was it. So I was oh, moved to second funny. base. There you, go. There you yeah. go. So how are your knees? They're doing great, actually. I, every time I say that, I knock on wood. I don't have any knee problems from catching. I have one random knee problem from sliding into third base wrong when I was about eight. Uh, but other than that, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty good and healthy, which I'm super grateful for. <laughs> so, so you were recruited. What university did you go to? I went to Yale. Um, so I basically got recruited to play softball, but then I had really incredible grades. And so I, I really got to choose from among a couple of great schools, uh, Stanford and the University of um, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, and then Yale. And so I ended up doing, you know, visits everywhere and, and Yale just sort of, man, if you go there in wow. September and you are with the right people and the weather's perfect and you feel like you can be the biggest nerd that you are, but still be cool. Like, they just won me over. It was, it was so much fun, um, you know, to visit. And so it was, it was really hard to say no. Uh, and, and so, yeah, yeah, I ended up moving from, uh, from Texas to Connecticut, which was a huge shift, uh, in many ways. Because, uh, well, you know, weather, but mostly culture, right? So mm. Yale's a, you know, here I was like a sort of protected, you know, Catholic, conservative, um, only child who, who 
you know, hadn't really traveled or done much and had a very generic public school, you know, upbringing, whatever. And then I'm at this private university that's got like a quarter Jewish people and a quarter gay people and a, and a huge, um, uh, international population and so you'd walk on campus and people are speaking different languages and everybody has different opinions about religion and politics and all kinds of stuff so it was a really eye-opening experience um, and very uh, humbling <laughs> to say the least um, and, and I learned a lot being there but what I really fell in love with school from a school perspective was psychology um, I, I, I am, I tell people all the time, not a closet nerd. I'm a huge nerd now. Uh, and I mm -hmm. love to learn. Um, and, and then I love to interpret that learning and help other people grasp it. I feel like that sort of communication is, I'm really good at. Um, and so I was uh, like, I'm just going to study whatever I want. So I took classes in like philosophy and international relations and sociology. And then I stumbled on psychology and was like, oh my gosh, you can study people. Like, this is a thing. Um, and I just fell in love with it. You know, I think we're all fascinating and, and our, our stories are all infinitely interesting and how we end up where we are is just bizarre. And, you know, putting all the puzzle pieces together is really fun. So I studied psychology, but I had no earthly idea. Again, remember, this is Tracy the Achiever, right? So I found psychology, mm -hmm. but then it was all about getting the A's. It was all about the right classes. It was all about performing. It, I, my college experience had almost nothing to do with what am I going to do after this? You know, how am I going to take this and apply it to a career or a job or a lifestyle or anything? So senior year rolls around and senior year September at Yale is a gong show because everybody is, is jockeying for X, Y, and Z finance role or X, Y, and Z consulting role or I'm going to go work for the government and I need to get on with the right campaign or I'm trying to go to grad school and so they're doing applications and I was just sitting there like, oh Lord, I have no idea what I want to do. <laughs> Mm. So I got swept up in doing what everyone else is doing. I mean, I applied for teach, to Teach for America, even though I had no interest in really doing that, didn't even get an interview, um, and, and was just really starting to get terrified because of all the pressure to have this figured out, like, by October of your senior year. Now, what and, were you taking for a degree? What were you uh, minoring or majoring in? My major was psychology, yeah. So you ended up going down that track. I did, yeah, and I studied mostly human behavior and um, emotions and, you know, motivations and that sort of thing um, <laughs> and, and had a lot of fun learning about that. But, yeah, like I said, I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. And when you talk to, you know, career coaches and counselors in college, they're, they, they try to put the pieces together logically for you. Like, oh, don't mm -hmm. you want to be a counselor? Don't you want to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist? And I was like, absolutely not. And then I was an athlete and they were like, oh, well, you could be a performance um, psychologist or a sports psychologist. And I was like, absolutely not. Um, and so, you know, in the absence of having a sort of clear and linear plan, I had no plan. Um, and that's when I got swept up in applying to the things everybody else was applying for. And that's how I wound up with my first job out of college, which was on Wall Street, of all places. Really? And what did you do there? <laughs> I uh, accepted a position in sales and trading. So I was working on a trading floor, uh, but I was on a... Um, a credit desk. So I it's not like the NASDAQ, you know, people yelling and waving cards and stuff in the air. It was, a, uh, we were trading bonds and loans. So just imagine like a football field's worth of desks and each, each desk has like four computer screens in front of each person. And we were just, you know, pounding that out from seven in the morning to 
seven at night or whatever. Um, and this and this was me with a psychology degree with almost zero math in college, even though I had loved math in high school, mm-hmm. um, and and a negative amount of financial information. <laughs> uh, and I had to learn on the fly and uh, and and learn it as I went. And you know, my fingers were crossed. Like maybe I'll like this. Maybe um, I'll get better at it. You know, maybe I was smart and I'm a fast learner, but. It's funny, looking back on it, I just discovered this quote recently. Um, Einstein said, everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life feeling stupid. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I look back on Wall Street, I'm like, it wasn't that I couldn't hang. It wasn't that I wasn't smart enough. It wasn't that I'm not a hard worker. It was Tracy the fish climbing Wall Street, the tree, and, Mm -hmm. and just not making headway in the way that I had expected of myself, having been such an overachiever growing up, and in the way that I felt everyone else expected me to perform. Um, Hence, probably the work you're doing now to help people to get into the right careers. Exactly, Ken. So, so let's it. just kind of uh, dive <laughs> into this just for a minute on the psychology of this. Yep. Is, you know, why do you think so many people get drawn down these pathways um, you know, was it because you didn't have anything set and there was a vacuum and so that vacuum was just filled by other people's expectations or, you know, what would you say to the people out there where they're doing stuff and they say, I don't even know how I got here. Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. Um, there's a lot of psychological interesting things going on when you think about picking a path for your life and your career. Um, so I would say first and foremost, I, I felt an immense amount of pressure to get a job and a, a high paying job. Um, I'm an only child. My family and I are really close. Um, my mom and dad and I, we called ourselves the three musketeers and we, you know, they had put everything on the line for me to go to this school and I knew that we couldn't afford it. And I knew that we were getting money from financial aid and, um, and I just felt this real deep pressure, not that they ever said any of this, but I put it on mm-hmm. myself to pay them back, to get a job that, that I could at least someday pay them back or that the amount I was making was commensurate with what we spent for me to go to that school, right? So, mm-hmm. so frankly, and, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say this and I'm not afraid to say it, I ended up making well over the cost of Yale in two and a half years and sort of I, I, you know, wiped my hands of it and was like, I think my debt is paid, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But then when you think about, you know, we get wrapped up in other people's, like you said, other people's expectations. But for me, it was their, their other people's definitions. So what, what does one do after going to a place like Yale? And what does one do in order to look and feel successful when they make that transition? And, I, I had so many conversations while I was on the trading floor with people who absolutely hated their day to day. And so mm-hmm. many times I would hear, well, this is what successful people do, or this is the only way I can make money like this, or this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what my friends and family expect of me. You know, this is what I expect of me. And I also think that comes from, you know, as we're raised and we're going through school, our our barometer, if you will, for success is very linear, right? We have A, B, C, D, and F. And, and where you fall on that spectrum is how successful you are at the number one thing you're asked to do growing up, which is school, right? And so then when you go to college, you're still kind of operating off of that same mechanism unless you're going into a trade or something like that, which frankly, um, I think a lot of people could be served to do. Um, and 
But then when you go out into the real world, you have to come up with your own definition of a successful life and a successful career. And you, you don't have the same yardstick anymore for everyone. Everyone has their own yardstick. So you're looking around and you're trying to sort of come up with your social, you know, mores and scripts for how life works. And, and what do you have to look at? You have your parents. You have your, you know, co-graduation, you know, your classmates. You've got maybe mentors or, you know, professors who made ideas available to you. But it's like, how are you supposed to know what's out there? You can only know what you know, right? We don't know what we don't know until we learn it. And so in the absence, again, of, of a clear path, because I wasn't one of those kids that knew from the age of seven what I wanted to do, but I was one of those kids who knew from the age of seven what I didn't want to do. And I ignored it because... I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do, right? Mm. And there's so, so many I, people out there that are caught in I mean, our work here at CRG is to help people to live, lead, and work on purpose. And mm. you know the stats that the majority of people are not, mm -hmm. and it just seems you have this pressure. So how did you get out of this vortex of Wall Street? <laughs> yeah. So um, I find that there are uh, two major motivators for people to make change in their life, and this comes from the basic psychology of um, avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two things that make you get up off your butt and do something. So if there's imminent pain, I'm going to change my reality. If there's a really good chance of me achieving something that's going to bring me a lot of pleasure, then I'll, I'll pursue that proactively. I was so terrified and so lacking in vision that I allowed my situation to get to the point where two and a half years into working at this bank, I was a shell of my normal self. I wasn't happy. I wasn't eating well. I was drinking too much. I was having to drink NyQuil at night to fall asleep very regularly because I was so keyed up and anxious. And then I had like for the first time in my life, like actual like markers of anxiety, like tingles in my back and shoulders or like shortness of breath or whatever. And I think I've been an anxious person my whole life. Um, I definitely come from an anxious mom. And, and this was the first time I was getting like these physical symptoms. <laughs> so honestly, I had to let it get so bad that I had to leave for my own well-being, frankly. Um, and well, when you think about it, what you're talking about is, and those people that are listening is, if I'm in this negative place, it's just draining you physically. It's affecting yeah. your immune system. It's affecting your spirit. And you're just, uh, like you said, a shell of self. Mm -hmm. And that's because you weren't being fulfilled. And, but you were, had still been in this place and it just yeah. had drained you. And it's so easy to ignore the signs, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're tired. Okay, well, it's because you're not sleeping enough or whatever. But when you really get down to it and your immune system is changing and like I literally developed disorders and diseases because of this. Like all of a sudden I had hypothyroidism, like never had that in my whole life, but it was stress induced like to the point where I had to take medication to bring my thyroid levels back up. Like it's crazy. So I think you can ignore these things and, and, and not even ignore the way that this is my favorite. I think my favorite psychological phenomenon is cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if y'all aren't familiar with that, it's, it's really just the cognitive meaning your brain dissonance, meaning disagreement or disconnection or, or misalignment. So if you and your physical body do something that your brain, your thoughts, your beliefs are counter to, so say, you hold this really deep belief that you are a person of integrity, but then you lie 
um, your body can't exist with that tension for very long. It has to alleviate that tension. So you can only do that in one of two ways. You either change what you think or you change what you do. So it's not that we're ignoring that we're unhappy. It's that you're changing your belief system to make that okay. Right? So, oh, well, this amount of money negates how miserable I'm feeling. Or mm -hmm. this raise, this stature, this new promotion, you know, I worked really hard for this, and so I'm not just going to leave even though I'm, I'm deeply unhappy or miserable. Right? So I was just thinking, okay, this is how life is. This is what work is. This is how everybody feels. And it, it wasn't until years later that I was like, this is not how everybody feels. <laughs> you know, you can actually like what you do and you could feel like it's purposeful. And even if you're doing crap you don't enjoy doing in a given day, if you believe in the purpose behind it and it has intention and you know where it's leading you and you know the impact that it's going to have, I don't mind answering emails into the wee hours now because I actually care about what I'm doing. You know what I mean? It just changes everything. Mm -hmm everything about how you approach work. So I finally got out because of, of two things. One was a really great friend who was like, listen, if you're this miserable, you're not the only one that knows. You know, it's going to start showing. It's going to start showing in your work. It's going to start showing in the people around you. Like, you can't hide for much longer. So do you really want to be let go from this job that you hate? Or do you want to take the reins and, and, make, and do something proactive? And I was like, Thank you, Matt, for lighting a fire under my ass. appreciate it. And that really made sense to me. And then he also said, you know, when you think about it, if you're 25, the opportunity cost of changing jobs is so much lower if you do it sooner than if you wait until you're 35 or 45 or 55, right? And you're even more mm -hmm. entrenched and sort of golden handcuffed to your lifestyle and whatever else. So, so there was that. And then there was also this wedding that I went to. It was one of my epiphanies. I went to a high school friend's wedding the same year that I quit my job. And uh, I, I, if you know me for 10 minutes, Ken, I love weddings. I, I'm a romantic. I love love. I love red wine. I love dancing. I'm like the best plus one you're ever going to find. And I um, it found myself at this wedding, not having fun, not reminiscing with friends, but sitting outside on the curb at the reception and crying because I knew the next day I had to fly home and go back to my job. And that's when I knew, you know, and I had another friend coincidentally also named Matt who came outside and was like, this is not you, you know, and when you've got a mirror you can't ignore, that's mm -hmm. powerful. You know, that's a person who knew me before I knew myself, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, sitting in front of me and going, this is not the person that I know. You know, this is not my friend who I don't know you right now. And that's a scary thing, you know. Um, but it's really the intervention that I needed. And so I, I literally got on the plane the next day. I typed up my I quit speech on my little iPad. And uh, the rest is history. I, I quit literally the next day. Um, it, it's a longer story of how I finally made the transition out of the bank and what I did next. But, um, but yeah, that was a really powerful moment. And it, 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 could, it could knock some people down you know, to the point where they're like, this is it, this is, I'm stuck here. But for me, it, it really lit a fire and it, it helped me take action fast. Mm. So where did you go after the bank? Yeah, so um, I'm one of those people that doesn't like to waste time. I like to be really efficient about things. And so in the absence of knowing exactly what I wanted to do, I looked for an experience that would let me test drive a bunch of different things for what I could do. So I had this idea that I might just like, you know, spend some of my money that I'd saved and travel and just like, you know, take a breather from professional life. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to school because I really loved psychology and maybe that'll help me figure out what I really want to do. And then... Um, 
there was this, you know, I, <laughs> if you think like, what's the, what's the 180 from Wall Street? I started thinking, oh, I'll work at a nonprofit or social enterprise or something like that. So I actually found um, Semester at Sea, which I, again, you may be familiar with or not, it's an undergraduate study abroad program. In the spring of 2013, Semester at Sea was doing a trip around the world and they were also hosting a social enterprise incubator to come onto the ship with its um, sort of constituent members, the companies, right, the CEOs of the companies they were working with. And then they were bringing on mentors onto the ship to work with the entrepreneurs. So it was a chance for me to travel around the world test going back to school because it's, you know, you're taking classes and to work with entrepreneurs who are working in the social enterprise and nonprofit space. And it was magical. So I did that for the next six months. So I quit my job. I was done by December of 12 and I was on the boat rocking and rolling in the middle of the, you know, Atlantic Ocean. Um, oh, sorry, Pacific Ocean. I always get the oceans confused. I don't know about you. I go back to my fourth grade self and I'm like, come on, you got this. Um, anyway, yeah, so I was, I was in on this boat, you know, January 9th of 2013 and I was sailing around the world for four months and it was... Um, were you mostly doing Asia then if you were in the Pacific Ocean? Yeah, so we went once around the world and we started in California and uh, hit, hit Hawaii and sort of went backwards. So then it was Japan and China, Southeast Asia, including um, Singapore, Vietnam, Cambodia, Burma, and then uh, India, which was incredible. Uh, and then from India, we sailed across the, I guess that's the Indian Ocean, right? We hit um, Mauritius. Uh, and mm -hmm. then South Africa, and then we went up the other side of the coast of Africa, so Ghana, Morocco, and then the trip ended in Spain. And then myself and a handful of uh, friends that I'd made on the trip backpacked around Europe for about a month, uh, and then came back to the U.S., a happy camper, a much happier and more sort of <laughs> possibility-filled version of myself, mm. which was great. So what did you discover after that time there that you can share with the audience that would be helpful <sighs> with us? You guys, it's... <sighs> If you are just suffering right now, maybe it's because you're miserable, but maybe it's because you just know that you have more potential to give. You know you have more purpose in this life, in this world, and you want to be living that in your career. When we're, when we're in something like a crappy job or a job that's just not sustainable for whatever reason, um, it's really easy to forget that our scope of how the world works is very limited by where we are right now. And so the way that I like to describe this to people is like, for men, it's Starbucks and for women, it's nail salons. So like if you walk into a Starbucks or a nail salon, you're immediately like, oh my God, the smell is overwhelming. You know, but if you're in there for like an hour and you have a meeting and you, you know, you're working on your computer or, or, you know, if you're in the nail salon, you're getting your nails done, all of a sudden you don't smell it anymore right? And you forget, you've gone like nose blind to your situation. That's what it's like to be in a job that's not serving you. You just get used to it. And then you think that that's normal. And so the biggest thing for me that came out of semester at sea was this is not normal, right? I was surrounded by, you know, six or 700 undergrads, all of whom were like, oh my gosh, Tracy, we can change the world and my career is going to have so much purpose and I can't wait to help people and all this other stuff. And then I was working with these entrepreneurs, same thing. They were, they were doing incredible things in the world and, and, you know, saving lives and saving environments and all this cool stuff. And I, I, I got my sense of possibility back. You know, I, I, I got to be reignited and reengaged with the world in a more powerful way that I didn't even think existed anymore, frankly. And so that was the, the biggest, the second biggest thing was mentors. I walked away from that trip with at least four 
amazing mentors who I'm still in touch with to this day, who helped me see versions of myself that were better and helped me put my puzzle pieces back together in a way that was productive, right? So I didn't have to throw my entire experience out, you know, baby with the bathwater because I'd never wanted to work on Wall Street again, but they helped me pull the value out of it that I could use going forward and then realign that with who I really was and how I could add value in the world. So it, it was just, I mean, from, from the reigniting and sort of the, mi the mindset shift and then the mentorship alone, that trip has paid for itself, you know, massively in life dividends. <laughs> um, so those were the two, I would say the two, largest insights. And then I had a couple other great lessons along the way as well. Well, mentors is such an important piece. And a lot of times we, what's the word? We don't reach out to people that would be good. Yes. Or maybe discount it. You know, one of the things you were mentioning, and, it, and this is not a slight on college career counselors, but a lot of times their view of the world is only is limited by their own sort of perspective. Mm -hmm. They're not as creative or outgoing or uh, maybe in innovative as other entrepreneurs would be. And so just this sure. ability to get outside of that and said, here's some mentors that get, as you said, get mm -hmm. you to think about what is possible, Tracy? What is it yeah, that exactly. you can really, really be doing? And here's what we see in you and just to encourage you. Mm -hmm. uh, I always uh, make a statement is that if you don't have courage, go to somebody where you can borrow a bit. Yeah, so, we say that in our business all the time. Like, let them borrow <laughs> your confidence, you know. Be so confident that someone who is drowning in doubt and uncertainty can just borrow yours, you know. Mm -hmm. And it works. And, and we're happy to, uh, happy to lend a hand as we go through it. So, Tracy, where are we now? You're, you're in this business. <laughs> Yep. Uh, how did how did you come to get into the professional development space? Oh, Ken. So um, it's funny. I you know when you think about, or at least when I conceptualize a career coach or a career expert or a career strategist or whatever. Now I call myself a career clarity expert. Is that I always imagine this person who had this illustrious career. They did everything right, and now they're looking back and they can give you all the like, ooh, don't step there. That's a landmine. You know, don't do this or do that. This is how I did this. And I am not that person. Um, my platform is that I have, I have hit every landmine and stumbled over every roadblock and banged my shin and stubbed my toe, you know, so many times that if you want to learn from me, you can learn exactly what not to do. And if I could do it all over again, the most efficient way to do it right. And, and that's both from my own learning, you know, my own career in life, and then also from coaching, you know, hundreds of people to this point, right? Uh, so I started this business six years ago, and the catalyst for starting my business was not, oh, I'm going to leverage this great epiphany from semester at sea, and I'm just going to, you know, from day one, I'm going to be on purpose and on mission. What ended up happening was I got back from semester at sea, and I was cobbling a life together. You know, I, at one, one Christmas, I was working at Lululemon. I was waiting tables at a steak place that my boss from Wall Street showed up at one day, believe it or not. Um, that was super humbling. And, and, and I was writing um, freelance, like online content for businesses and, and textbook companies and whatever. And I had, you know, like no health insurance, had a, a, an apartment I could barely pay for. And I was like, is this really, is this, is this the life that you know, they were talking about, is this really what I'm going to do? And then, and here's the thing, I fell right back into living by other people's expectations. So I had all my friends, very well-meaning, going, when are you going to get a real job? You know, when are you going to 
when are you going to have a salary again? Like, when can we go out together? You know, I'm like eating a $3 Trader Joe's salad in the car before I go to dinner with friends. <laughs> like, I had nothing. And, um, and, and probably, you know, had borrowed. Anyway, so <laughs> I ended up taking the very first full-time job that I got offered um, after that. And the reason that I started the business that I have now is because I got fired from that job. It was the worst fit ever. They didn't do enough due diligence. I didn't do enough due diligence. And I made it maybe three, six months working for them before they were like, mm, this isn't really working out. So and I remember curiosity, uh, Tracy, what was the job? Oh, uh, yeah. So it was working for a very small, semi kind of startup slash stand-up size company that did um, – they were the outsourced place you would go to build trainings for your employees. So let's say that like HEB bought this new software for their middle level managers to use to, uh, to do interviews and hire people and, you know, capture all that information. Well, this company that I work for would build the webinar or the instructor led training or mm. the handouts or whatever that would teach those people how to do those processes, right? So on the surface, I was like, okay, cool. We're, we're helping people. We're doing training and development. But what it really was, was like a glorified babysitter position where I had to, and I'm not a detail oriented person by any means. And I don't mean that this isn't a good job for somebody. It was just a horrible job for me because I was mm. project managing, even though I'm terrible at that. I was sort of handholding with clients, which again, I'm really good at, at lighting a fire. I'm a great catalyst. I am not a great coach by nature. Like I get really antsy and ready to move on to the next thing. And so these projects would take forever and I'd be like, why aren't we done yet? And I mean, it was just horrible. And they could see it and I could see it and I was hiding, you know, I was, I was hiding and I was scared to really go for what I think had been on my heart the whole time, which was helping the people who like me were meant for more to actually go out there and have the courage to go live it as mm -hmm. opposed to hiding and wasting away in these jobs that not only are not serving you, but they don't allow you to serve you know what I mean? In a powerful way. So um, I was like driving around Dallas with my um, Whataburger shake and honey butter chicken biscuit. Didn't go home. Couldn't call my mom. I mean, I was devastated. Like you think, you know, leaving Wall Street and all that and all the things I had done before. Here I was like, I'm like, I'm a Yale grad. I thought well of myself. I cannot believe I just got fired from this job. But looking back on it, it was, it was as they say, a huge blessing because it really forced me to sit there and go, am I going to live life like this and keep repeating the same mistakes or am I going to finally go for something I actually deeply care about and really think I could have an impact doing and that's when I started the business and I, I had no idea how I was going to make money I had no idea what I was going to coach exactly but I knew who I wanted to serve and I knew the problem that I wanted to solve for them and I'm smart and I'm hardworking, and I knew I could figure it out. And that was six years ago. And so today, fast forward, we have this incredible, um, the Nth Degree Academy, you know, many programs that we do, but our number one breakthrough foundational program is 30 Days to Your Dream Job. And we bring people in who are terrified they're never going to find work they love that actually pays them what they're worth. They can't believe they've spent X number of years, whether it's two or 20, in jobs where they're not being challenged or they don't have anything to do or, um, you know, they're not thought of well. And, and, and in 30 days, 
they know exactly what they want to do. They know exactly who they want to serve. They can articulate their value powerfully. They have more confidence. They have more clarity. They have more certainty. And I mean, we are changing lives and it's amazing to watch. So it's been a journey for sure. I mean, I didn't go from day one to this. You know, it's been six years. <laughs> to right. develop a program and to trademark an idea and to hire people and to, you know, really gain momentum. But it's, it's so fun to look back on and just see how far I've come and how far we've come. And, and now the book, Unstoppable, is sort of the coming out party for the major market for the nth degree. So it's, it's just really cool. It's really, really cool. Mm, well, congratulations on that. Oh, thank and, you. And when you think about uh, the nth degree, Summarize the concepts that you are sharing with people. Yeah. Uh, if you can believe it, we're only about eight or ten minutes left. But, but you know what? What I always encourage guests is that story matters mm. because story really encourages people. Story and your story has been that way. So we appreciate yeah. you as sharing from your heart. So what are some of the core strategies and steps that you have in the nth degree that really could help our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the way that I developed the nth degree really tells the story best. I was um, coaching clients on the side and then working more or less full time in, in what's called a human capital advisory role. So I was leveraging my psychology background by implementing a behavioral assessment in small to medium-sized, fast-growing businesses who needed to hire a lot and they needed their people to be productive quickly. And so I was helping them choose the right people and then also make sure that everybody in the business was serving to their maximum capacity. So do we have, as they say, the right people in the right seats on the right bus, right? Um, and as I learned what allowed somebody to go from a generic, even, even liability as an employee, right? Because you're a line item on a spreadsheet. That's, you're trying to you know, justify your salary to what elevated that person from that to an asset, something that the business could not do without. They were almost irreplaceable in a sense. And we all know the difference, right? We've all worked with people who mm -hmm. are sort of skating by and people who are like, I don't know what we would do without Ken. You know, I don't know what we would do without Tracy. Um, and I was reverse engineering that on my clients. So I realized that there are, three, there are three core things that you need to know about yourself and be able to articulate that make you an asset as opposed to an employee or a liability. Okay, um, and, and once you know these things, they sort of become a value stack that nobody can compete with because it's so ultra unique. Um, so this is how this works. I call these three mm -hmm. things um, now, nature, and nurture. So the way that, the reason the nth degree became the nth degree is because every step in it starts with the letter N. These are the first three of what are seven total steps. This is the discovery part, the discovery phase. So now, nature, and nurture are three concepts of how we really explore and discover somebody's true value as a professional. The now piece is what are your values as a human being? What matters to you? What moves the needle for you? What really deeply matters in your life for you and the people around you? Um, and the number one thing that I find that people, you know, in jobs that aren't serving them are experiencing is a misalignment between their own personal values and what the job is requiring them to do or the company's values. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, Right. So if we can get ultra clear on what your values are as a person, then we can already have a foundation built where you know 
without much work, you're going to know exactly what is a yes and exactly what is a no, right? You're going to know um, a company that, that you would consider that, that is viable because they align with your values or they don't. And then you can immediately get rid of that option and like not lose sleep over it. I call mm -hmm. it kind of like your career easy button. So, so the values piece is first, that's now. And we take those values and then we, we, we I call it giving them steroids. We, we pump them up a notch by turning them into commitments. So it's not enough just to say, oh, I'm a person of integrity or I value faith or I value family. If you aren't willing to commit to taking action based on that value or not taking action based on that value, it's not really a value, right? So if you say that integrity is important to you, but you're willing to go work for a company that deals under the table or is one of the, you know, quote unquote, like sin companies or whatever, then you're not really living that value. And it's obviously not that important to you. And if it is, then you're going to experience that cognitive dissonance that we talked about, that, mm -hmm. that misalignment, right? Absolutely. So that's first and foremost. If you can align yourself and your, your values with what the company does and the company's values, you will always be a great culture fit. And that's the first bar. The next two I call nature and nurture. And they're opposite sides of the same coin. And that coin is how do you or I add value as a professional? Okay. We can do that in one of two ways. Things that come naturally to us, like our personality, our behaviors, our gifts, maybe even our talents, but certainly our aptitudes, right? And then we could do that in, in a way that we learned or earned. And so that would be our nurture. That's skills, knowledge, and expertise that comes through our collective life experiences. So that could be education. It could be work. It could be, um, I like to call them your ninja skills that come from like your various life experiences. And so what we're doing here is we're building on that foundation of your, of your values of now. And we're building on it in two ways that if we have both make you unstoppable and somebody that cannot be competed with. Okay. So again, if, if I have a certain set of values and I add my nature, my personality, my giftings, and my skill set, my nurture, knowledge, expertise, et cetera, on top of that, um, it creates a value stack that is so compelling that it's hard to compete with and it allows you to uh, get a lot of leverage, right? If I can say not only am I a person of integrity, but, uh, well, let me use a better example. Like for myself, for instance. One of my core values is um, this year, it's my number two core value. It's called It Takes a Village. I spent five years running this business by myself with various interns here and there and, you know, external vendor partners and whatever. This year, I was like, I am so done with that. I'm building a team. I'm going to uh, empower that team to do things I don't do well and things I don't want to do. And that's going to free me up to be my best self, which allows me to live my number three core value, which is um, in my element. So like feeling like I'm capable and stuff, right? <laughs> and, and so I started, um, I'm, I'm really naturally good with people. I'm a great communicator. I can take concepts that are challenging and, and complex and make them simple for people to understand. I can coach, I can train, and then I can light a fire under your ass. Like, so, so that comes naturally to me. I'm a catalyst, right? And then what I had learned over time was how much I need people and how much I'm better if I'm not, you know, the, the smartest or only person in the room or whatever. And then one of my, you know, and, and all of these things fed that one core value. Does, does all this make sense? Right. So, mm -hmm. so when I'm making a pitch as a leader to my team, you know, I can light a fire, I can get them excited, I can get them to work hard. Um, and I know the value of that. And I know how much it allows me to then go and use my skill set, my knowledge, my expertise and leverage theirs at the same time. So what I've found is if you want, at the end of the day, we all want success, right? 
but the issue is that many of us have settled for success that is just fundamentally unsustainable for one reason or another. It goes against our values. It requires us to turn our natural selves inside out. So, if, you know, I, I'm not a detail-oriented person, but that job required me to be super buttoned up and that wasn't a good fit. Or it doesn't leverage anything that we're good at, you know, anything that we've learned over time. So I've, I spent all these years studying psychology. Was I using any of that as a project manager? No. And that was a waste. So if you want sustainable success, then you've got to figure out how to layer those three things and articulate them such that you can have the best chance at succeeding at the highest possible level. So at the end of the day, what I, I call this your gold medal level profession. It's what's my now nature and nurture such that, and the combination thereof, such that it creates this niche, that's step four, um, where we define your niche, that I have the best chance of getting a gold medal in, aka succeeding at the highest level, so I can get paid, so I can have freedom, so I can have fulfillment, um, and so I can have leverage you know, in my life and in my career. So I just spewed a lot and I'm a really fast talker. So I apologize. You may want to like replay that again, if you're listening, <laughs> um, but it's all about well, your now, we, your nature. We, your are, nature. we are appreciating the energy. Are we not, Tracy? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, this is what I get really hyped up about. So you guys, like, this is the thing. If, if you can find something you just can't stop talking about or you gush about, like that's what we're looking for in these parts of the process. Yeah, right? because this, is, this isn't really, this interview is not work for you, is it? So it's a natural. This is sort my of favorite thing that I do. I love getting interviewed. I love yeah. giving advice. You know, it's it's amazing. If I could do this all day long, I would. <laughs> so uh, you might not even know just that how congruent we are with what we do here at CRG for 40 years, and so our yeah, purpose is to help it. others to live, lead, and work on purpose. So when you think about all the stuff that you're teaching, that's exactly what we've been teaching here for nearly 40 years as well. well there so you go. we're on the same page and Fantastic. we agree 100%. <laughs> and if you can believe it, we only have like a few minutes left. And all so right. where did that time just evaporate, right? I know. Uh, in uh, that, I love the energy, so that's perfect. So Thanks. before we go further, yeah. Tracy, how can people find out more about you, your coaching, your programs, as well as get the, the new book, Unstoppable. Yes. Okay. So first and foremost, Unstoppable, you can go to unstoppablecareerbook.com. So Unstoppable is the title. It's about career and it is a book. So if you just don't even remember anything except to Google Unstoppable Career Book, you will find it. <laughs> so unstoppablecareerbook.com is where you want to go to order books if you would be so inclined. I would love that. And uh, what, I, what I went ahead and did is put together a site for your list so they can go deeper into each of the things we've talked about here. So if they just go to tracytim.com, that's T-R-A-C-Y-T-I-M-M.com forward slash secret of secrets of success, secrets within us, secrets of success, mm -hmm. um, you'll be able to uh, book time on our company calendar if you want to talk about our programs. Um, there are a couple great downloadables. So if you really like this whole career clarity concept and you want to do now nature and nurture for yourself, there's a great um, career clarity download there. And of course, you can email me directly. Um, all my social media is at the Tracy Tim. So there's only one other Tracy Tim that I know of, and I think she's a, uh, an actress of some sort. So if you see her, that's not me. <laughs> 
but the rest of it, the rest of it is me. I've worked really hard to to build up, you know, a lot of online content. So you should be able to find me pretty easily. Well, thank you for that. So it's Tracy with a Y and Tim with two M's. Correct. And we'll make sure that this URL's in the show notes and whatever platform you're listing on. So we'll make yeah. sure that that's there for you. So Tracy, as we wrap up, what's sort of the final piece of wisdom mm. or encouragement do you have for the listeners today? Okay, so this is probably, it's, it's, if it's not my number one piece of advice, it's top three, and I learned this on Semester at Sea. Um, I just want you to take action and try and pursue because uh, while I was on Semester at Sea, I met a, an, a, a, a psychologist, a professor of psychology, and he taught me um, the science of regret. Um, there are only two things within the research that you can regret, really. Uh, everything trickles down into these two categories. You can regret something that you did, so you, you did something wrong and it has an outcome and, you know, you, you feel bad and it, 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 you know, resorts itself. Or you can regret something that you just didn't do. So you didn't say I love you. You didn't, uh, you know, accept that job offer. You didn't insert thing that, you know, you just decided not to do. Maybe you're too scared. Maybe it didn't feel like the right time, whatever. It turns out that um, psychologically speaking, we feel the pain of regrets for things that we didn't do mm. exponentially more and for longer because the brain loves uh, a closed loop. It likes a beginning, a middle, and an end. So when you do something wrong, um, it has an end. It has an outcome, right? But when you choose not to do something, it has an infinite number of possible outcomes. And that's why we're plagued sometimes until, you know, our final days of what if and shoulda, wouldas and if onlys, you know, it, it's because our brain is seeking for an answer to something it will never have an answer to. And even though we know intellectually that that's not smart, it doesn't matter, right? Our brain mm -hmm. is working against us in a sense. And honestly, I, the question I asked him that brought that up was, should I just go back to what I was doing and do the safe thing? Or should I really take a shot at doing something that matters and something that scares the absolute crap out of me and I don't know how I'm going to do it and what if I fail and he said you will never it is always worth it to take your meaningful shot for the stars because you will never regret more <laughs> if you do it and fail than if you never did it at all because mm -hmm. at least you'll know right at least you Agreed. won't spend your life wondering what would have happened so please if you're out there and you in your gut or, or just have this tingly inclination in the back of your mind that maybe you're meant for more, listen and take action because as Howard Thurman said, what the, we don't, you, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do that because what the world needs is people who, are, who have come alive and are, mm -hmm. are living life alive. And I know that sounds cheesy, but if, if the science proves anything to us, it's that the path to, of least resistance and least pain is actually the one that looks the scariest and it's doing the thing that you're afraid to do. So I just want you guys out there, just take action, whether it's, you know, booking a call with Ken, booking a call with me, um, just downloading something that's going to get you one step further. I mean, you know, your insight is going to come from that action. And, and I hope that that encourages people to live life with fewer regrets. Well, Tracy, thank you for yeah. sharing your expertise and energy today. Thank you for having me. You have an amazing, you know, you're doing amazing work in the world. I appreciate the platform so much, and I hope this serves people. Well, thank you. Stay on the line, Tracy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Tracy Tim. 
get her book Unstoppable. Go online to the site tracytim.com slash secrets of success. We thank her for the special gift for you as a listener. And as Tracy has mentioned, and we've said so many times on this show, is that you matter and you're important and you have something to contribute. And our highest level of contribution is when we are in the zone, as Tracy has talked about. And guess what? That might take a little bit of effort, a little bit of work to get to that clarity, but please do it. As always, we thank you for sharing your most valuable commodity, your time. If you like what we're doing, please share it, pass it on, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.